The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here's Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston. This morning, we continue our fall sermon series, Detectives of Divinity. From now until Thanksgiving, Fifth Avenue Church is studying the role that wonder plays in the life of faith. We're reflecting on places in scripture where individuals and communities express awe. Moments when people gasp on finding themselves in the presence of God. And then we're looking at the world and our own lives through the lens of these experiences. Our foundational premise this fall, something we explored last week, is that awe is a doorway to the divine. And if you missed Homecoming Sunday, you can catch up on our YouTube channel at any time. Today, we turn our attention to a fascinating and funky story from the Hebrew Bible. Listen now for God's word to you as it echoes to us from the second book of Samuel, chapter six, beginning with the 12th verse. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women to each, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. David returned to bless his household, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. 
This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In today's reading from 2 Samuel, King David is consumed by wonder. His royal highness stands and and stares at the Ark of the Covenant, an ornate golden box, a sacred relic that had been stolen by a rival army and, and then recaptured by the Israelites. David, the musician king, author of numerous psalms, gazes on God's mobile home with a funny smile twisting his face. And then, then his head starts to bounce. Tapping into some primal pulse, David tears off his royal robe and sheds his regal decorum. He strips down to his skivvies. The king gets excruciatingly comfortable, breezy. He doesn't care who's watching. He's caught up in the moment, moving to a cosmic beat. David stretches a hand toward the sky. He steps to the side, rolls a shoulder, and then lifting a knee, he takes off high-stepping down the road. The leader of all the tribes of Israel prances in front of the golden box, carried by the priests. He cavorts before God, in the citizens of his kingdom in ecstatic bliss. Although some watching David's spontaneous display are not pleased. This is our fearless leader. Hearing the hubbub, looking out her window, a woman named Michal cringes. Scripture is elbowing us in the side here, my friends. The text identifies Michal as the daughter of Saul, although she could just as easily be called Michal, the wife of David. The good book wants us to connect the dots here. This woman's identity is a complicated thing. This couple's relationship is a complicated thing. David is being judged by his spouse, a woman who also happens to be the daughter of the previous king, the the guy that David toppled from his throne. I'm betting those two had some interesting dinner conversations. On this particular day when David gets home, Michal meets him at the door. Arching an eyebrow, she proves that sarcasm wasn't invented by today's teenagers. Michal smiles. Now, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants' maids. Every ecstatic expression of religious wonder is not met with a standing ovation. But of course, you already knew that. We get uncomfortable when our Pentecostal sisters and brothers raise their hands and shout hallelujah in worship. Christians have long felt 
uneasy with shouting. On Easter morning, Mary Magdalene runs to find the disciples arriving at the upper room. She half gasps, half shouts, I've seen the Lord. According to Luke, Mary's outburst has little effect on most of the disciples. They roll over and cover their heads. This ecstatic woman, they say, she's spreading an idle tale. More often than not, we are suspicious of those filled with rapturous wonder. Quick sidebar. In general, I try to avoid picking fights with other Christian movements while standing in this pulpit. I think mainline churches have enough work to do confessing their own sins and cleaning up their own messes, but I do feel compelled to comment on the Southern Baptist Convention's decision this past summer to ban women pastors. It's their loss, but Really? <laughs> the powers that be claim that the convention's decision was, was based in scripture. I think the technical term for that is horse poop. <laughs> <laughs> scripture says all sorts of things about women, some helpful, some not, but it does make one thing crystal clear. The very first Easter sermon ever preached was preached by a woman. It was Mary Magdalene's exuberant proclamation, I've seen the Lord. And yes, that sermon was delivered to a bunch of disbelieving men. <laughs> you want scripture's truth? Read Luke. <laughs> it's got our number. There will always be duds out there, dudes out there, pulling the covers over their heads, looking for excuses to ignore those whose hearts are afire with God. This happens, by the way, in other religions too. Almost 20 years ago, I led a church group on a trip to Turkey. Our travels focused on Christian historical sites like the magnificent ruins at Ephesus. We also had time for encounters with Turkish culture and the Islamic faith. Sayed, the guide with whom I was working, was a practicing Muslim. And one night, Sayed invited me to attend a worship service led by a Sufi community in Cappadocia. You've probably heard of the whirling dervishes. The centerpiece of dervish worship is a form of physically active meditation in which the faithful engage in a mesmerizing, spinning dance while praying. The, the goal of the dance is to reach greater connection with Allah. I spent a serene evening watching these sacred dances and contemplating humanity's diverse approaches to connecting with God. Afterwards, I listened as Syed explained that the, the dervishes belong to a mystical Islamic sect, the Sufis, a subset of Islam that's often viewed with suspicion and often persecuted in the Muslim world. I was stunned. 
What beef could other people of faith possibly have with these peaceful, spinning folk? The answer that Syed gave me was chilling. Sufism is perceived to be an emotional and uncontrollable expression of the Islamic faith in seeking to attain a state of ecstasy through dancing and self-deprivation, the dervishes search for a truth that lies outside of traditional authoritarian structures. In other words, they're tapping into God without a mediator, and this makes the professional mediators nervous. What if the dervishes were to deviate from the truths that they saw themselves assigned to police? Do you see where I'm going with this? Manifestations of religion that embrace wonder and awe, that actively seek experiences of wonder and awe, can feel threatening to those of us who prefer our faith a little more buttoned down here are the rules. <laughs> Abide by these, then you'll know God. <laughs> Who knows what sort of things you might start to believe while whirling in prayer or prancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. When King David finishes his wild dance through the streets of Jerusalem, the text tells us he distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Over a decade ago, in my second year here at Fifth Avenue Church, on Homecoming Sunday, our worship service focused on the text Psalm 34, and specifically the verse, O taste and see, that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. After the sermon, during the offering, the clergy fanned out and offered everyone in the sanctuary an individually wrapped oatmeal and raisin cookie. The next day, I got a call from one of the worshipers. He's not here. <laughs> He's not even living anymore. <laughs> He was angry, really angry, fire-spitting angry. He accused me of disrespecting this church's traditions and an overall lack of reverence. Never had he been approached and handed anything in worship other than a bulletin. He went on to employ some rather colorful vocabulary, questioning my training, my sense of decorum, my understanding of church. Bryant Kirkland, he declared, would never have handed out bleepity bleep cookies in worship. <laughs> and with that, he slammed the phone down. I was stunned. I pretty much figure whenever anybody hands me a cookie, it's a good day. <laughs> so what was this fellow's deal? After years of reflection, I've decided it came down to two things. First, we don't like change, and I empathize with that. And second, we are suspicious of enthusiasm that we do not share.
watching the king of Israel dance through the streets and then hand out raisin cakes upsets some folk. Heck, it upsets David's wife, Michal. She grumbles and then serves her husband a shame sandwich. This is not how things are done. This is not how kings are supposed to behave. Can you picture my father, Saul, running around town in his underwear, passing out sweets? What kind of craziness are you going to embrace next? You know when all this started, don't you? You just had to go and bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. You had to run off and get yourself religion. One of the great ironies of faith is that nominally religious people often look with derision on those who are actually swept up in their beliefs. We view those in the grips of divine awe with suspicion. Who knows what they might do or say? Who knows where their faith might take them? Did I mention that one of the reasons Sufi communities are viewed with distrust by many Islamic clergy is that some dervish communities include women in their ecstatic whirling dances. Although before pointing fingers at others, we should own our own squeamishness in the face of ecstatic awe. I'll start. I'm guilty. Personally, I prize a rational faith, a thinking faith. Sit me down and I'll explain that history has all sorts of examples of people who sever the ties that they have with reason and who fall into the orbit of charismatic and evil leaders. And Jesus agrees. <laughs> He counseled his followers, be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. Reason has a place in the life of faith. Skepticism even has a place in the life of faith. This is true. But is it the whole truth? What happens when reason and skepticism sideline our sense of wonder? This is the question raised by King David's wild dance. Have we grown overly fearful, distrustful, skeptical of wonder? Are we, are we so buttoned down in our beliefs that we repress our own experiences of awe? What a tragic and ironic twist that would be. Think about it. Wonder, experiences of the holy, lie at the root of all that we do here. Before there were words written down in the good book and songs sung along ancient roads by people of faith and stories told around campfires, there were raw experiences of awe, encounters with the holy that fostered hope, stirred up courage, and compelled people to act on behalf of the good. During summer study leave, in the summers, I like to take a swim at the end of the day in the cool, sometimes downright cold lake that lies alongside of our cabin in northern Minnesota. 
Typically, I swim about 75 yards across to an island and then back to our dock a couple of times. There's a ledge rock on the island that I slap, and then I turn and swim back to the dock one lap. One hot and brilliant afternoon this summer, I was swimming with my daughter, Izzy. I slapped the rock, and then she came along and slapped it too. Izzy is a faster swimmer than me. She turned and headed back. I paused. I looked at the two wet handprints on the rock, and my world started to spin. This simple vista tipped me into wonder. A closet door opened in my head, and all sorts of thoughts came tumbling out. They overlapped, they danced together, and the dance went something like this. This is an old rock. <laughs> it's granite. It's part of what geologists call the Canadian Shield. It's over four billion years old. I am nothing to this rock. My wet handprint will last for less than a minute in the summer heat. My adult daughter's handprint is next to mine. Staring at these side-by-side -side handprints, my heart swells. In the grand scheme of things, in the four billion year scheme of things, my presence, humanity's presence on this planet is, is nothing more than a fading handprint. All record of me and mine will evaporate. This is a certainty. Still, I see two handprints. <laughs> these ephemeral marks, these fleeting Smears on dark stones send a shiver through me. We are brief blips on creation's radar, but we are conscious blips, bright flashes. We are aware, we are passionate, and we are capable of so much, some good, some not so good. I drift away from the rock, I look at the sky, it seems strange to be floating, trying to make sense of handprints and rocks, water and, and, and clouds, the mystery of existence. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. I feel grateful for the gift of consciousness, for my life's brief span of awareness I feel overwhelming gratitude for the distant voices of family, laughter drifting over the water. I feel love, I'm full of love. My head hurts with the love. I feel convicted. I need to get better, so much better at expressing my love to others. I need to get busy before my handprint fades. Swimming to the midway point between the island and the shore, I spin around in the water. I'm no David. I'm a poor dancer. I'm both self-conscious and uncoordinated. Bad combo. <laughs> but there in the lake, with most of my lumbering frame hid from view, 
for a few seconds, I'm a dervish. By the time I make it back to the dock, I'm sure the handprint on the far shore has vanished. But I would be lying to you if I didn't confess that that summer swim has left a residual imprint of awe on my heart. My friends, sometimes the biggest skeptics live inside our own skulls. A cautious voice up here will say, that can't be God. A self-conscious voice will, will cringe, dancing through the streets, risky things, silly things, shameful thing. Today's text implores us to ignore these disparaging voices. The good book is clear. When you find yourself standing in front of the Ark of the Covenant and the world starts to tilt, don't turn away. Let the Spirit take your hand, spin you around, point you in new directions. And if you feel inspired to hand out cookies in the aftermath, well, that's okay too. Friends, as you go forth from here, embrace moments of wonder, dance to the music of the Spirit, and as you spin through the world, have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.